All right. I am excited to jump into God's Word. Today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So you can make your way there or look on the screen. I'll, I'll open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your body, the people of God, the new creation. Uh, Lord, we pray that today as we close out our Rule of Life series, Jesus, that you would move in our hearts. Lord, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us not only to hear the message, but to participate in its instruction as we are invited to share ways that you've moved in our lives, things that we're thankful for uh, at the end. God, I pray that there would just be a spirit of encouragement today as we are gathered together in your name. Amen. So we uh, actually looked at the text this morning, or rather recited it together in our call to worship, but we're going to be looking today at Colossians 3, uh, just a couple verses, verses 15 and 16, and uh, we will be talking about thankfulness at the end of that. All right, here's what God's Word says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is God's word. So for those of you who are familiar, my family and I, we spent 16 years in New York City prior to moving here to Champaign-Urbana. And uh, one of the things in ministry that we did, uh, Becca and I, is we, we ministered to a lot of different college students. We were, I was also a pastor on staff. Um, but it, it, New York City has probably the most diverse group of students in the country. So among the, the very, uh, various types, there were fashion students that we ministered to. So fashion business, fashion design, um, that sort of thing. And then we had congreg congregants in our church that we were part of who we were in the fashion industry. And one of the things that I learned uh, from some of those individuals um, is just in thinking about, fat, my wife's looking at me funny, like, what did you learn? Because um, I buy all your clothes. Um, is uh, just the differences in, in some retailers in the level of the quality of the, the fabric. Right, and so there was a store, and which, by the way, disclaimer, I, you know, I am. There's no whatever clothes you wear, brand, no brand, generic. It's all good. I'm, you know, but anyways. So there's this store called H&M. You guys ever you've heard of H&M? There's one in the mall, marketplace mall. See, I know that. I haven't been there, but I know that it exists in Champaign. Um, and and so, at least in New York, you know, they were known for being trendy, but it's like it's so trendy. You wear it a few times, you wash it a few times, and it gets holes in it. Um, maybe you're familiar with that, maybe you're not, right? And so, so I'm like, so what's up with that? I said to one of our fashion folks, and they were like, well, you know, they don't, they're, they're, their whole thing is they don't use the best quality fabric, you know, but then there's other stores that use a better quality. And so, you know, what Paul the Apostle is talking about, he's talking about a wardrobe change, in this whole section of Colossians, he's saying, you've got to put off the old wardrobe, the old fabric that you wore before you knew Jesus. You've got to put on this new fabric. 
this new, this new material. It's a new design. It's, it's called putting on Christ. You put off the flesh, you put on Christ. And there's, this, there's a sense of what it means to be a Christian, to, uh, to have a rule of life, is that we are, every day, we have a choice. What are you going to wear? When you go into, you know, you're, you're, you're talking with a brother or a sister, you're going to work each day, you wake up, you greet your family, what are you wearing? Are you wearing the old clothes? Or are you wearing the new clothes? That, that's, that's, that's what Paul is going after. And so, but we're not going to have time to get into all of the details of that. Uh, but simply what we're going to focus on here today is the title, Gospel Culture Preached in Practice. We're going to talk about these elements that Paul is talking about here. They, they are elements of a gospel culture, something that we ought to be practicing as the people of God. In other words, the gospel is not just something that gets preached in this setting. There is a culture of how the church interacts with each other that gets lived out that should be a gospel-centered culture. And there are three things that Paul is pointing out, not exhaustive list, but three important ingredients. Number one, peace rules. Number two, word dwells. And number three, thankfulness abounds. Those are three ingredients, three descriptors of a gospel culture not exclusive. There are many other things we could talk about, but we're focused here today, and I'm only preaching for a brief period, and then we're going to have time for sharing. Peace rules, word dwells, thankfulness abounds. Peace rules. So it says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule there, many of us have been watching baseball this season. Some of us are a little more excited about it than others, depending on how our team's doing. I'm not going to rub it in. Don't worry. We've still got a lot of season left, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to my team. Um, there's an umpire who's calling the shots. And when Paul is saying, let peace rule in your hearts, effectively what he's saying is let peace umpire your heart as God's people. When, when you have conflict, when you have differences, when you have differences of opinion or values, let peace umpire your hearts. This is really important. I mean, we live in a day and age where peace is, is, is evaporated and a lot of church interaction, well, our world, but it's influenced the church as well. In 2016, so my family and I, my wife and I, we spent 16 years in New York City. Uh, but before that, I was in New York, North Carolina. I had spent uh, four or five years in a church in the Raleigh-Durham area. So that's a good, good while, oh, 20 years ago that I was there. In 2016, during the whole presidential election period, uh, they had a staff member who posted something that was political. Subsequent posts, reactions, responses, Lots of emotion came in response to that post. It ended up 150 people left the church. 75 on the left, 75 on the right. You know, 150 people. What happened? Well, that's not an isolated incident. It was actually in that same year, that same time frame. There was a New York Times article, probably many of you read it, that talked about how um, it, it, it focused on people of color and um, 
evangelical churches that were leaving in droves based on how their church dealt with the issues of politics during that whole election cycle. What's going on? Well, it, it, it's revealing that we've lost touch, we the church at large in the West, with what it means to let the peace of Christ umpire. The peace of Christ should umpire before we post. We're thinking about, is this going to build into the peace of the body or is it going to disturb? The peace of Christ should umpire as we, maybe there's an offense, you know, and, and which by the way, peace doesn't mean it's an absence of, peace doesn't mean we should never bring up hard things or hard topics. That's a false peace. Like if there's something going on and we speak the truth in love. But peace, when we are dealing with a conflict, means, okay, I'm going to umpire the, the rudeness that I might approach my brother or sister with. The peace of Christ rules our heart. And, and, and it's not just of, man, I got so much chaos going on in my life. I got my, my, my you know, family or personal life is going 100 miles an hour. I don't feel like I have any peace. What are you talking about? It, it, regardless of whether your life is together or not, you can actually live into the peace of Christ. Because it's about what the body experiences together. And in fact, in fact, even when your life is hectic, even when things are breaking down, you can, you can still experience the peace of Christ from other members of the body. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Joe Thomas, uh, who's a professor at the, the, um, uh, the seminary here in town, Urbana, uh, he, he preached. Um, and one of the things that he talked about was uh, the tribalism that we face in our society, right? The breakdown. We've got folks, okay, I declare I'm with this tribe, I'm with that tribe. It could be, you know, politically oriented. It could be cause-oriented. It could be, you know, ac activist-oriented or, or what have you. But there are lots of different tribes in our, in our nation, right? And, we, and social media becomes the fuel or at least the mechanism for those tribes to have allegiance. But one of the differences one of the key differences between the church and tribalism is that in tribalism, you've got to pledge your allegiance by either how you vote or how, you know, what platforms you're on, what news outlets you're listening to, being an activist, being in certain marches, marches, in other words, you have to identify yourself with this tribe based on your actions. But the priests of Christ, what the body of Christ means is that you have an identity that you don't, it's set. It's already been done. Paul's saying, you have died to the things of the world. You were raised with Christ. Therefore, you put off these old garments of strife and contention and murder and all these things. And instead, you put on Christ, gentleness, patience, humility, love. You walk out the peace. The peace of Christ is, um, by the way, you think about what, it, what, what, it, what is it? What does it mean? Well, before you knew Jesus, you were an enemy of God. But what Jesus did for you is he absorbed in, him, in his own body, the wrath of God that was meant for you. He absorbed it on the cross. 
And no longer are you an enemy, but you have peace with God. That is our primary problem as humans. We are enemies with God, but Jesus makes us friends of God. In Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. Jesus brings us into a peace relationship with the Father, with the King of Kings. But not only that, Jesus brings into, us into a peace relationship with other humans of different age. Pastor John talked about the multi-generational uh, church and being intentional about having multi-generational relationships. He, Jesus brings us peace regardless of our age, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our race. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is making this argument that what Jesus did is he, he the, the surprise of the gospel is that the, the grace of God is free to Jews and to Gentiles. No one would be surprised that God would favor the Jews, but the big surprise is that God would also favor the Gentiles and make it the same manner by which they come to know him through his son. And it says that Jesus himself is our peace, making the two groups into one new humanity, thus breaking down the wall of division between Jew and Gentile, the, the ethnic, cultural, re religious wall that existed, the separation that existed. That in Proximity to one another, why, why Jews would not eat with Gentiles, why a, Samir, uh, a Pharisee wouldn't associate with Gentiles. Um, Jesus Christ broke that down. He brought peace in our human interactions. And so the church as a people can be multi-ethnic, can be multi-generational, can be multi-whatever because of the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called as in one body. But he also says, second point, let the word dwell richly in you in verse 16. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we're, having, if we're gonna have a gospel culture, if we're gonna have, if we're gonna put on the right clothes, the right fabric, we gotta let peace dwell in our hearts and we gotta let the word dwell in us richly. The word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? Is the word of Christ, is it simply the gospel, the gospels? Like, okay, we just need to know that. Is it the word that's about Jesus? Or is it the word of Christ, the message that Jesus brought when he came? Is it the word that he preaches, you know, repent and be baptized? Is it the word that he preaches of healing, you know, to those that need healing? Well, really, it's it's all of the above. Uh, one, 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 not getting too deep into it, but one theologian says, this is a pregnant expression. It's all of the above. All of scripture, Jesus, when he read the Bible, he said it points to me. In, in Luke chapter four, he st stands up in a synagogue. He said, he reads Isaiah 61 and he says, today it's fulfilled. He's like, this is talking about me. And at the end of his ministry, in Luke chapter uh, 24, he's saying, by the way, guys, disciples, this is how you read the Bible. It's all about me. It's all pointing to me. And so all of scripture, that's what needs to dwell in our hearts. But what Paul is not saying, though, he's not saying you should listen to a bunch of messages, sermons only. 
He's talking about the word of Christ dwelling as one another, the body teaches one another. There is definitely a space. He earlier talks about how his ministry in chapter one is to teach and admonish. Now he's saying the ministry of the church to put on Christ is that you would let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, verse 16, by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Really two parts, the teaching and admonishing, and then secondly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the congregation. And so what that means is, okay, what are the ingredients of a gospel culture? Letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, letting the word dwell. It, it's, it's deeper than us gathering on Sunday mornings. It's you having interaction with other believers. And it's that word of encouragement when you're discouraged that another brother or sister in the faith can say, hey, I have been through that. And this is what God showed me. That's how the word dwells in you. Or, or it's, you know, it's a multi-generational interaction. You know, it's someone serving, you know, some of our grad students um, or college students serving in the youth ministry and saying, hey, let me, let me teach you what God taught me at your age. Uh, it's, um, it's what happens in a small group and you get together and you're about to pray or somebody's saying, hey, I'm going through this. And you, after the meeting, you're, you go to that person and say, here's my word of encouragement for you or any number of other different types of interpersonal interactions. That's how the word dwells. Paul's saying you need congregation, the word of Christ to dwell in you, not in paucity, but richly, richly, deeply, to which um, um, the Lord has called us. And, and so we've got the peace of Christ. We've got the word of Christ. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, and again, this is just a brief homily today, is thankfulness. The third thing, thankfulness abounding. You see, because in both of these verses, Paul talks about being thankful. It's kind of like this afterthought. He's saying, you know, let the peace of Christ rule, you know, rule in your hearts. Your call to that as a body. Oh, by the way, be thankful. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, you know, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You know, thank you, Todd and Phil, for helping us engage the word through the psalms, well, hymns and spiritual songs that we were singing this morning. But he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is the deal with thankfulness? I mean, thankfulness is one of those things. If you think about a child, you have to teach a child to be thankful, but you never have to teach a child to complain. They just learn that. Right, I took Solomon to the dentist on um, Thursday. He does the whole thing. We practiced at home. He did well. I forgot to tell him there's a hygienist, dental hygienist, and there's a dentist. He thought he was done after the hygienist was like, I'm ready to go. Like, oh, we got to wait. And so you know how it goes. The dentist is with other patients. They come in, they do their two-minute thing, and they move on. Um, that's not a dig if you're a dentist in here. <laughs> we just all know what happens. And so we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And Solomon's like, 
he says this. He's, you know, the hygienist is trying to do the small talk. He's four. I mean, there's only so many things. He's like, this is taking forever. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, it is, but you don't say that. Um, why is this taking so long? And then, so the hygienist is starting to get a little like, yeah, why is this taking? So she goes and she's like looking for the dinner. Oh, he's just next door. He'll be here soon. But after they're done, Solomon say, thank you. Okay, thank you. I have to, I have to remind him to be thankful. But the complaint, that's, that comes freely. <laughs> Being thankful takes intentionality. Being thankful means we recognize God is sovereign, even in our mess, even in things are bad, like God is still in control. I mean, I was reading a story, Bible story with, um, I think it was Maddie. It was Maddie or Solomon. Anyways, the other night, and we were talking about uh, uh, Joseph. It was Maddie. And so it's like, it, it gets, it, he, Joseph's life, it kept getting bad. Like, he was favorite child out of 12. Okay, that's a bad move. But then he was least favorite sibling, right? So then he's got the precious robe, but then the brothers take the robe and they tear it and they get it bloody and they send it back to dad and they throw him in the pit. Then he goes down, not only into the pit, but now he goes down into Egypt, he gets sold into slavery. And now he's a slave and now he's in part of his house and gets a little bit better. He gets favor, then he gets lied about. Now he's in prison and on and on. But at the end of Genesis, when his brothers confront him and they say, you know what, dad told us before he died, you know, don't, don't be mean to us. Yeah, right. Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, thankfulness, it recognizes that God is sovereign. And that even though, when, even though there are things that I could complain and complain and complain about, there are things that I can be thankful for. And not just like surface things, like deep things. Paul himself exhibits the thankfulness when he opened the letter Verse three of uh, the first chapter, he's saying, hey, we thank God when we pray for you. We are always thankful for you, Colossians. They haven't even met each other. Paul hasn't even met this church. And he's thanking God because of what he's heard about what God is doing. He instructs them in, ver in chapter one, uh, in verse 12, that you should give thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul's demonstrating a thankful heart. He is teaching a thankful heart. And then in chapter three, he's reminding us that the ingredients of the gospel culture, or in our case today, a rule of life, is to be thankful. And, and so what I want to do is I want to invite us to a time of giving thanks. If you're new, we don't do this every Sunday, by the way. Um, so if, don't freak out. But um, it was, la uh, yeah, we're, we're still in July, um, not much longer. But last month, we had an uh, annual meeting, for those of you who were here. And, and during the meeting, we had a time where we had little note cards, and we said, hey, fill out a way where God has done something in your life, not knowing what it would materialize into. And we had a big bulletin board here. And that bulletin board at the end of the night was filled with all these note cards. And I, I, I came out down front after the meeting, and I just started, I read every single one. And I took photos. And it was, a, it, to me, it was like I was on holy ground. 
Because I was reading about, you know, many of your stories, just little snippets. Hey, God healed my marriage. Hey, God did this in my child's life. God did this in my health. God did this in, you know, my small group. God did this, et cetera, et cetera. There are so, and I was like, you know what? This is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many other things. But the thing is, we move so quickly through our days and our schedules and our weeks. We don't hear about what's going on in one of those lives. And so this is a space where I'm going to invite you to come down. It, I'll, I'm gonna, it's an open mic, but I'm going to stand here with anybody who wants to come and share how you're thankful. And in the process of doing this, we're practicing this gospel culture that we are a people who recognize God is sovereign. We have received something, many things for which we can be thankful. And it actually reinforces the peace of Christ for people who are coming in. Hey, I think I can, I, I think I can fit in a place where people are thankful. Um, I think I can fit in a place where the word is, is really propagated. Um, and and, and it, it really demonstrates that God is in control. So let me pray, and then I'm going to move us into that time. Father, thank you for uh, our brief study of your word today. Lord, Holy Spirit, may you resonate in our hearts what we need to remember. And I, Lord, as I invite, our, I invite friends uh, this morning to share, Lord, would you minister in our congregation through the words that we share with one another? In Jesus' name, amen.